listening to First Church Charlotte. All right. I've been preaching, thinking, applying in my life uh, uh, by the act of intent, by, by intentionally doing it. I, I've been focusing uh, on uh, the goodness of God in my life. Um, this is a very confusing time to be alive with the outbreak of seemingly Cold War style social tensions and political risks. Who saw that coming? Uh, we thought that that had pretty much, you know, ended with the fall of the Soviet Union, and we saw that history has not ended, um, and people still uh, gain. Uh, power and lead nations and nations war against nations and people against people uh, because uh, the human heart needs to be changed by the power of God and our lusts put in order. I didn't get very many amens on that, but I'm telling you, Christianity is not just uh, identity you wear. It's about our hearts being placed in order. It's about right living. And there is, there, is no, uh, there is no, you know, label of Christianity or church style of culture that can ever be a cover for sin. And uh, uh, all of us, from the world leaders who are trying to kill each other to church folks at the church house, all of us need our hearts changed by the power of God. And can I have a big amen? I, because it's a confusing time, and it's a confusing time uh, even among pastors and in churches, uh, because in some ways, a lot of the impact of, of the last two years of isolation is really being applied now. Um, it's like for a while, we kind of held our breath and operated on adrenaline, um, and now as uh, FDA has removed the mask mandate for most people, if, if you have a condition that places you at risk, you should not... Uh, go around without a mask, but for most people, I think they said 60%, something like that, uh, that mask mandate has been has been removed. So anybody, uh, because of your circumstances, you choose to wear a mask. You don't need to think it's weird at all. Nobody in this church, half the people in this church are nagging at us to be more careful. So you are totally fine. We're glad that you are being good stewards of your health. Can I have a big amen? But as we come out of this time, as, as these circumstances begin to change, it's a very confusing time uh, because I, I talk for whatever reason, the Lord has connected me with a fair number of pastors, and uh, I, I talk to them. There's a lot of pastors who are, it's, it's, it's a confusing time. People you expected uh, to nothing kind of shake them, uh, it's like they've disappeared. And uh, at the same time, there's this turnover of new interests, like the Lord, through His Spirit, has broken fresh ground in our civic life. And so uh, the future's not bad for the church, the future is fantastic for the church. Can I have an amen from somebody? The future of the church is great. That's, that's not what I'm trying to get at, but the changing components and the rise and fall of people's individual experience and journey of faith, that can be very confusing. And so rather than going into this year where there's potentially a lot of confusion, I've decided this year I'm going to, by the act of my will, I'm going to spend time celebrating the goodness of God. Last Sunday, come on, anybody else feel that way? God's been good to you. I could have got a better amen on that one. I said, God's been good to you. 
as good as God has been to you, some of you ought to stand up and shout with the voice of triumph in this house and say, you've been better than me than I've been to myself. I cannot tell at all the goodness of God. If you're going to talk about the goodness of God, it's very natural to to spend some time in Psalms 23. I I preached there some last week, and who knows, maybe I'll I'll build here three tabernacles and linger for a while, but the goodness of God is something that it is incumbent, necessary. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, it is necessary for us to carry in our ordinary life, not just our Sunday church life. God is good to you on Monday, too. Um, I know you don't have a song uh, necessarily being sung at you and a preacher, you know, yelling at you and whatnot, but God's good to you on Tuesday, too. And it is in my interest to carry the goodness of God as a way of being. This is how I live. If you never do another thing for me, you have already done more than I could ever tell it. I have not seen. Mm, I wish someone else knew this scripture in this church. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard. Man, if we had church folk, we need more religious people. Ear hath not heard, it has not even entered. The things that God, somebody say God. I want to hear a better God. Hath prepared for who? So I'm going to, having given you that introduction, I'm going to give you a boring title, a depressing title. My title is Some Valleys I Have Known. You're like, my God, that's depressing. Stay with me. It's not. It's not. I just want to take some time of testimony here, uh, not so much tell my story, but tell you sacred stories and show you something in the scripture, uh, the goodness of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I'm not alone out here. I've got someone looking after me. <laughs> the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Sometimes I have a little bit of a greedy soul, but a little bit of prayer and fasting fixes that. You got to try it. It's amazing how prayer and fasting can fix a greedy soul. Uh, I have everything I need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. The longer you serve God, the more important it is for you to appreciate spiritual stillness. Most people, as they grow in maturity, that's a natural thing, but some people, it's not natural for them. And I want to appeal to you to learn how to uh, appreciate the stillness of God, to lead you beside still waters. There is a consistent theme in almost all the stories of characters in the Bible as people become more like who God ordained them to be. As they grow, whether as a priest, prophet, king, preacher, uh, any of that, you will see them grow almost, almost, almost to an individual. You will see them grow more and more confident in stillness. Yeah. In stillness. You'll see the same thing in the life of Christ. Now, when I say stillness, I don't mean you're not doing anything. I mean in spite of a world of chaos, There is peace in your spirit, peace in your soul. It's still waters. You don't need God to strike the ground with lightning every day. You walk with him in the cool of the day. 
you follow after Jesus and you don't always need manna as a miraculous witness. You're able to sit with him for a little while because Jesus is not always inviting you to a show, but he's always inviting you to come away with him. Oh, y'all don't, y'all aren't hearing me. I'm trying to show you some spiritual growth and all. Jesus is always inviting you to quiet places. He's not always saying, hey, guys, I've provided a tremendous demonstration for you today. No, the power is real. The demonstration is real. But let me tell you what is there day in, day out, up, down, happy, sad, rich, poor, healthy, sick. It's always there. Come away with me, my child. I'm going to the mountaintop, and what am I going to do there? We're going to huckabuck. There's nothing wrong with huckabucking. That's what we called it in Bible school. I love me some good huckabucking, do you see? But let me tell you, when you go to the mountaintop, it's not simply all this invitation to that. I'm going to the mountaintop, and I'm going to pray. I want all of you to cultivate the spiritual stillness as you grow and understand. The more the wind blows, you cultivate spiritual stillness in the middle of your trouble, in the middle of your struggle. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody here. Somebody needs to claim that right now in the spirit, and you say, I receive it. I'm living in chaos, but in my soul, it is well with. All right. Let me, let me, let me try to move along here, because I have a long-winded spirit on me today. My wife's not here to frown at me when I go over the little bit of time, you know. She's just like the devil frowning at me just when I get that first good hour in, you know what I'm saying? My wife was on her way out of church today and got violently sick going out of the church and had to run back in, which I won't explain, but um, she evidently has food poisoning or something, so say a kind prayer for her. Uh, and um, anyway, so I'm preaching a long time today because the time police is not here. This is not your lucky day. <laughs> I'm just having fun. I want to read to you this passage, 1 Kings 20, verse number 28. God said, because the Syrians think that I am only the God of the hills and not that I am the God of the valleys, I'm going to give you victory over this huge army so everyone will know that I am the Lord. Because they say that as long as you're feeling it, then I'm fighting for you. I've decided to fight for you when you haven't felt anything in a month. Because they say that only when you have extra money at the end of your month that I'm with you, I'm going to show you how I can bless you in ways besides money. Because they said I am the God of the hills and not the God of the valleys. So uh, there are valleys in the scripture that are more than just a testimony of an ancient time. They are a teaching illustration. They are truth threaded through a sacred story that's given to us as canon, as holy scripture that we carry with us, that we apply, or we should, shall I say, apply. Uh, Let me put a call out for time in the word of the Lord. You apply that truth threaded through a sacred story that can apply generation after generation after generation. And I'm going to tell you the story of some valleys. But before I do it, I want to make sure we all agree on some foundational understandings of valleys. Valleys are a part of your life. You're not cursed in the valley. 
valleys a part of the way. You're not forsaken in your valleys. Valleys are part of your story. In ancient days, on the edges of the maps, they would write on the edges of the maps, the maps, here be dragons, as if to say we have no idea, but our imagination is running away with itself. <laughs> Just my imagination. <laughs> here be dragons. Have you ever been there? No. Well, how would you know? It seems to be something that could happen. We're always caught away in that kind of a thing. And on the edge of the map, they write, here be dragons. Well, I, I want to, if you will allow me, I want to uh, take the liberty of writing on the map of your journey of faith. I'm going to get out a pen. I'm going to write on the map of your personal journey of faith this truth. In your promised land, it is a land of hills and valleys. Amen. That's what I'm writing. I'm not writing here be dragons. I might write something about how there was a dragon, but he lost a really, really big battle. Right. Right. Oh, we don't have any Bible nerds here today. I need, us, I need some Bible nerds. Uh, I, I, that dragon fell. Okay. But the, I want to write something else on the map of your personal story of faith. In your promised land are hills and valleys. Valleys are a part of life. Deuteronomy 11, chapter number 11, the Lord says, the promised land you are about to enter is a land of hills and valleys. God didn't just promise you hills. He promised you some valleys. Oh, I'm, glad, I'm glad Brother Anthony got blessed on that. God promised you some valleys. God promised you some valleys. And he's just as much the God of the valley as he is the God of the mountaintop. And you can have victory in your valley just like you can have victory in your mountaintop. It is not the will of God that the experience of the believer goes where their spiritual condition follows their emotional condition. Your emotions are like waves of the sea. You can't control them. Hopefully, you can learn how to surf. Yes. Because if you don't learn how to surf, it's going to be rough going. You can't control the waves, honey. You can learn how to surf. But let me tell you, the promises of God are not like waves of the sea. The promises of God are like bedrock you can build upon. The waves can dash against them, but guess what happens? The rock endures. And let me remind you, if we're going to use this globe as an example, there's a lot more rock than there is water. <laughs> water is just a little layer on top of a giant ball of a rock that's either liquid or it is solid, but it is rock. I want you to know this. So it is in your life. Just a fun example. So it is in your life. The waves of your emotions dash against the rock of God's promise. And hear me today, the rock is not moved. And if you will build upon the rock, praise God somebody, if you will build upon the rock, 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 then you will not be moved. Valleys are a part of life. The promised land you are about to enter is a land of hills and valleys. And Peter would say it this way, don't be surprised when you are tested by troubles or painful suffering as if something unusual is happening to you. Secondly, valleys happen to everybody. 
Um, uh, you know, it's. I'm going to talk in a moment about isolation, but a lot of times we think we're the ones who struggle with something other people don't understand. We're all just pretty much people of like passion, and we are have different struggles, different trials, different temptations. The sin in your life that tempts you may be different than the sin that tempts me, but it's all sin. Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, we all have to overcome how through the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Uh, this is true of all of us. Valleys happen to everyone. The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too. This is Psalms 34 and 19. The good man does not escape all troubles. He has them too. But the Lord helps him in each, somebody say it with me, in each and every one. So valleys are a part of life. This promised land God has destined for you is a land of hills and valleys. Somebody say yes. yes. Secondly, everybody goes through valleys. You don't have some goodness upon you that allows to escape it, allows you to escape it. And thirdly, I want us all to agree on this because it will help our maturity and make our forward progress more probable. We won't be constantly living two steps forward, two steps back. <laughs> we'll make some real spiritual progress. Valleys come at unpredictable times and affect us in unpredictable predictable ways. Proverbs 27, verse number one. Don't ever brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring forth. Even righteous folk don't know what's going to happen on the way home. Just to be clear, there's only one who is righteous, but you know what we talk about, you know. Church folks don't know what's going to happen on the way home. You needed to change those tires last year. You did, but you've pushed three months into this year because you're hoping, you're hoping, you know what's going to happen? You're going to get flat. Now, if that happens today, I'm a prophet. <laughs> I don't want anyone to get a, a flat. I just want to be clear about this reality that it is an unpredictable life that we live. None of us know what tomorrow holds. Uh, you think a lot of times that you can see what is ahead of you, but there's a whole lot of terrain between you and the mountain you're walking toward. If any of you have ever uh, spent any time in wide, and, and wide open country, like you get into the plain states or you get down in Texas, and uh, it's they call it big sky country. And if you spend any time there uh, and you've dri driven across, I spent nearly 10 years uh, uh, driving uh, first with uh, groups out of Bible school that traveled, and then as an evangelist, uh, I, I, a big chunk of my life was spent doing that, and I traveled. I've, I've been to... I've been to maybe thousands of different churches. I, I've seen them big. I've seen them small. I've seen them happy. I've seen them sad. I've been at churches so impressive that I, you think to yourself, my God, I don't even know where to start. I've been to churches where you just want to wash your hand and say, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> I have seen it. I have, I have experience to it. Um, and uh, out of that, uh, I had the privilege of uh, being able to travel a lot and see a lot of country. And um, we spent a lot of time in in the South and in the West, and I drove from uh, the Louisiana, Texas area to California, I don't know how many times. I mean, 
Uh, there are serious parts of the trip that I right now can play in my mind. I, I can, that, that first long climb out of Southern California, I can see it right now in my head. I, 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 it's so real to me. Going through Albuquerque, I, I can, right now I can see it in my head. If you're up higher in uh, Colorado going to Kansas, you're on 70, you're going through that pass coming down. I can see it right now. So much of my memories were there. Going across Texas and the, the broken country of Texas. There are some mountains in Texas, but uh, you know, Texas say everything's bigger. Uh, just, just mention mountains. Their mountains ain't bigger. Their mountains are a big disappointment, okay? It's kind of hill country, you know what I mean? Oh, everything's bigger in Texas. No, not really. Your mountains are pretty pathetic. That's always fun to say to Texas people, too. So to my Texas friends, love you. God bless you. Your mountains ain't very impressive. <laughs> Sorry about that. Just cutting up, having fun. <laughs> I, I love Texas. It's a great state. I lived there. Anyway, point being, um, the surprise of big sky country is you think between here and there is flat, and it's not. It's not even close to flat. Even Kansas, I preached a ton in Kansas. In fact, one of the most common places that I preached more than anywhere else was uh, for Pastor uh, Cornwell uh, in uh, Wichita, Kansas. I, for years, I preached for him a month every year, and he kind of took an in-house sabbatical and made me do all the work, but he paid me well, so that was a great deal. I didn't, I didn't have any problem with that at all. Uh, Kansas, you think it's flat. You're driving. It's because you're on the interstate, and they built up the road, and you think it's flat, but I promise you, get off the interstate in plain states, and you'll be surprised how there's all kind of creeks, and there's all kind of washes, and there's low spots, and there's surprise uh, little mini canyons of sorts that you have to move through. So it is serving God. You might have a place you're walking toward. You might see a mountain in the distance. You might be blessed to have vision before you, but oh, my brother, my sister, between here and there is a land of hills and valleys. One day you're flying high, the next day you've been laid low. Do I have a witness among all you fine people? One day you're on top, the next day you're in the swamp, and the mud is trying to suck you down and trying to hold you, and everything gets stuck. Uh, valleys are part of life, and valleys are unpredictable. So having had all of you agree on that, I want to use very quickly uh, a handful of valleys in the Scripture that each teach us a lesson about how it will feel as we progress toward the calling, uh, the purpose, the destiny that God has for each one of us. The first valley uh, is in Genesis chapter number 14, and the name of this valley is Siddim, and it is uh, shown to us, chapter 14, verse number 10, uh, the valley is full of sticky tar pits, and when they tried to run away from the battle, they slipped and fell in the pits. Who are we talking about? Uh, this is the story of the kings of the plain of the Jordan River. This is where the famous cities, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, are. Uh, this is here, and the rivers, uh, the cities of the Jordan River Plain are being oppressed by the empire that's from another set, another kingdom from a different river. It's from the Euphrates River in modern-day Iraq. There's a series of city-states on that river that have a coalition, and they have oppressed the whole region because of their strength. Out of these cities would emerge empires like Babylon. 
Uh, so now you're caught up. This is the proto, shall we say, Babylon Empire, and they have oppressed the region, and on the River Jordan, there is another set of city-states, and they are the five kings of that region. Why do you read the story? Why do we care? Because a man of covenant got mixed up in business that really wasn't his business to get mixed up in. This is the story of Lot. Lot gets mixed up in this contest between the empire that's growing upon the river of the Euphrates and the empire that is trying to grow on the Jordan River and its plain. This is the context. Lot had no need to be in the battle, but he was in the battle. A lot of stuff that gets us in trouble has nothing to do with our purpose. That's right. That's right. A lot of the stuff that I had talked to a pastor yesterday, and he was telling me about some stuff going on, and I told him, brother, there's one thing I've learned from my elders is this. Uh, the majority of the stuff in, that's bothering you is pure distraction. The majority of it. You, if you think it's more than that, you'll have to pray and seek God for wisdom. But most of the stuff in your life is 100% distraction. In fact, when it comes to people of faith, hell has way more success with distraction than they have with oppression. In fact, if you're a person of faith and you're struggling, it's not oppression that's getting you. It's distraction. I had a little blessing there, y'all. Y'all. Yeah. So um, uh, here in this battle, uh, the two the armies that come together, there's four kings on one side, five armies on the other, and of course, uh, the respective, uh, respective battle uh, array, and it is here in this valley of sticky tar pits. This is, this is uh, in my way of thinking, a valley of failure. It is a place of failure. Um, you know, uh, geographically speaking, the only area of the Holy Land where this could have happened would be down near the Dead Sea, where as the uh, Jordan River uh, flows into the Dead Sea, south of the Sea of Galilee, um, there is this region of the country that is very, it's, it's um, a lot of the water has moved underground, um, and on the surface there's not that much water, and it's a place of salt, lots of salt formations, and lots of quicksand. Uh, the Bible, in one translation, calls it tar, and another translation calls it slime. The thing is, is both English words come from the earlier Hebrew word in which this is written. Uh, and so, if we look geographically, it almost certainly was in this area where the Jordan River is going down into the Red Sea, into this area of uh, this slime, this quicksand. It is impossible to fight in quicksand. Yes. Have you ever been in a situation where there was no way for you to win? Yes. There was literally no way for you to win. There was no point fighting. There was nothing to win. If you did to the left, there was no way for you to win. If you did to the right, there was no way to the, for you to win. Now, working with people can feel like this, and we're all people. It's like uh, one of my pastor friends wrote a book called People Are Pitiful, and we're all people. <laughs> it's the truth. Working with people can often feel like um, there's no way to win, and all of you who are active, actively trying to help people and encourage people and minister to people as you should be, it's a sign of your spiritual flourishing when you move beyond keeping self-saved and begin to encourage other people. That is what spiritual flourishing looks like in your life. Can I have an amen in this house? Um, it can feel like there's nothing to win. That's what the Valley of Sidon feels like. It feels like there's no way for me to win. 
I don't even have good ground on which to fight. It's failure. It's failure. This is what I know. I'm preaching to some people here today who you are, as it were, stuck in a place that feels like failure. You are living there. You are stuck there. You wish you could fight, but you can't even find solid ground to stand on. You wish you could make a difference, but you can't even get purchase for your feet. It's not even about you failing. It's about utter helplessness. Let let me remind you of something that is so easy for us uh, people to forget, and, and that is this. One of the great Christian superpowers is powerlessness. The moment you admit you don't have power or control, you free God to give you a testimony. Now, this comes out in all kind of ways. You know, church people turn things into things, and then we say it so much that pretty soon you don't even think about it because it's like a religious cliche. I want to give you one right now. You need to let go and let God. (laughs) We say that to each other so much. You know what I'm saying? This is the secret power of powerlessness. I can't do it, so I'm giving it to you. Let me tell you the story. God oftentimes won't fight when you should be fighting, but the moment you couldn't win if you tried, it's as though God rolls up his sleeves and says, all right, because they said, I'm only God of the mountains, I'm going going to defeat this army and show them that I own the valleys too. I want to tell you today, God will fight for you. Lot is stuck. Yes, he is a recipient of covenant through Abraham, but he is stuck. It's his own carnality that has got him in this situation. He does not have control, but he has been shaped by the people he has surrounded himself by. I want to remind all of you that we are shaped by the the relationships we have in our life, you are not controlled by those relationships unless it's an abusive situation. You cannot give them all the blame. In fact, you uh, oftentimes we use that as a cop-out, and I will too. You can't blame them for everything, but know this. Sodom and Gomorrah will get you in wars you have no business fighting. All right, moving along since you're not excited about that. Uh, God sends Abraham. Uh, Lot's not where he should be, but Abraham doesn't just have himself saved. He has compassion for other people. And he says, you can't fight. Well, honey, I can fight. This is the very image of an intercessor. You don't have the faith. I'm going to stand in your stead. You're not praying like you should. I'm going to stand in your stead. I thank God for people in this church who don't just keep enough faith to keep themselves on track, but they can carry someone to God and speak the name of Jesus. All right, let me move along. The Valley of Eshcol, Numbers 13. Uh, We'll read it, verse number 33. In our eyes, we felt as small as grasshoppers next to them. This is the spies of Israel sent into the Valley of Eshcol to scout out the promised land, and it is a very fertile place. This is where they cut the bundle of grapes that is so large, it takes two men. Where does that happen? It happens in the Valley of Eshcol, and they're so impressed by the wealth of these people, the fruitfulness of their land, 
all that they've been given, they're so impressed, they're so impressed, they're so impressed. Then they see the people themselves and they think they're giants and they say this one to another. You see, this is when doubt turns evil. It's not a report you feel, it's a report you give. That's, that's when you give an evil report. Not when you feel it, but when you speak it. Take your time, brother. Take your time. Well, thank you very much. Um, and so they give each other an evil report. They say, uh, we feel as small as grasshoppers next to them. This is a place of fear. There are valleys in your life that are a place of fear. And also, it's a, uh, it's a sense of um, the fear that you're never going to be enough, the fear that you're never going to be able to make a difference. You're never going to be able to, to move beyond the fear that you are never enough. I want to rebuke that place in your spirit. I want to speak some confidence to all of you in the valley of Eshcol. God said that you were able. So quit letting your emotions have more of a vote than the promises of God. I said, quit letting your fears have more of a vote than the promises of God. In the valley of Eshcol, we felt like we were grasshoppers. I'm I'm appealing to some of you here today. You're living with fear and you're telling yourself, I'm never going to be enough. God is with you in the valley of Eshcol. The third valley I want to tell you about is the valley of Elah, 1 Samuel chapter number 17, uh, verse number 3. The Philistines occupied one hill, and the Israelites another, and the valley of Elah between them. And in the middle of this place of conflict stands a giant who defies the armies of God and offers a deal that he has no intention of keeping. This is the problem of bargaining with the enemy. They'll make deals they have no intention of keeping. Here's the deal. Let's fight. If you win, we'll submit. If, y'all, if we win, y'all submit. That's the deal. And David won. Did the Philistines submit? No. They did not. It was not a deal. Don't bargain with a liar. First of all, it's not just, when you bargain with a liar, it's not just them deceive, deceiving you, it's you deceiving you. Does that, does that make sense? Is that, do you understand? It's not just them deceiving you, it's you deceiving you, because you thought they might keep what they said. No, no, no. They were always offering a deal they weren't going to keep, and here in the Valley of Elah is a place of conflict. Uh, a few of us enjoy conflict. Um, um, if, if you're the kind of person that enjoys conflict, there are churches that will fit you like a glove. You will be so happy. But I want you to know you're going to be miserable here. <laughs> I don't mean that ugly. I just mean um, we, we don't, I just don't want to fight. Um, you know, uh, the great thing about a, 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 a church is there's usually some place that, that fits you. You know what I mean? I don't know if that's always good. God help us. Um, but um, we, we, our church isn't a big fight church. There's, we're not all the time, you know, trying to create us and them. Um, and uh, that, that's not to say there isn't a spiritual fight. It's just by nature. Um, it's not something that, that, that I think um, we have ever, this church has ever been uh, a kind of a, how shall we say, a tough guy fight church. Um, that, that, that's never been the case. But let me be honest with you. There are real places of conflict in the Christian journey. There are real spiritual contests that happen. Uh, it just has to be something where there is a battle to win for a purpose that's not our own. Right. 
We're always tempted to fight battles that serve our purposes and not God's purposes. But as spiritual people, we back away and say, whose interest is at stake here? Is God going to be threatened in any way by this? And if God's not at risk, then maybe we should wonder if we're not the ones who are fighting and not God. I I love the story in the New Testament where uh, they come to uh, Gamaliel and they're like, "Should should we persecute these Christians? Should we attack these Christians? And he said, no, leave them alone. And this is this is Gamaliel. He's not even a Christian. He's just a Jewish uh, teacher of the law. And he says, no, leave him alone. Here's the deal. If God's not in it, nothing will come of it. But if God is in it, why would you want to be on the wrong side of God? I want to say to all the critics of First Church, not that there are many, but we'll just pretend we're grandiose and have a bunch of critics, okay? All the critics of First Church, all one or two of you, (laughs) you know, we're not famous or celebrity, so we don't have a lot, but I I want to say this. Um, After you get done criticizing, ask yourself this. Um, If if God's not in it, nothing will come of it. And if if God is in it, why would you want to be on the opposite side of God? You see how that's fair? Now, that's... If it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. When any of us find ourselves criticizing, come on, come on, let's receive this in Jesus' name. When we find ourselves criticizing others and judging others, they already have a master. If God's not in it, nothing will come of it. And if God is in it, why do we need to have an opinion about it? I think that's fair. In the place of conflict... You have to be willing, however, to stand for God. David does not fight for his reputation. He fights for God's reputation. Don't you love that? David doesn't say, you called my mama what? I said, your mama wears combat boots. Oh, it's on now. We're going to fight like you wouldn't believe. (laughs) Your mama went to the beach. (laughs) I'll stop. (laughs) How many of you grew up with your mama jokes? Is that a public school thing? Yeah, sorry. I'm dating myself here. My kids are like, what's he talking about, mom? (laughs) David's not fighting for his honor. He's fighting for God's honor. That's something we're fighting him for. Because all of a sudden, you're not fighting by yourself. David doesn't say, I'm going to teach you something. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to challenge God? What's going on? He's not fighting for it. There is real conflict, but I want to say a word of encouragement to every one of you who are stuck perhaps in a work circumstance where you feel like you have a real enemy in everything you do, they try to work against. That's a real thing. I've talked to a lot of people in that situation. Those of you who are stuck in a dysfunctional uh, family relationship or sibling relationship, some kind of thing, and you feel like you're living in conflict, I want to give you this encouragement today. When you limit your battles to fighting for God, you will never lose again. Amen. The battles we lose are the battles we should have never been fighting in the first place. All right, that was the Valley of Conflict. One more, musicians, you can come. Uh, the, f- the next, the, the final valley I want to talk about is in Psalms 84. This is the Valley of Bacah. And blessed, the Bible says, verse 5, Psalms 84, blessed are those 
whose strength comes from the Lord. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. What does that word Baca mean? It means weeping. They pass through a valley of weeping. Now, in the geography of the Holy Land, there was several places where they've wondered if that is what these um, one, uh, 1,000 B.C. Uh, Hebrews were referring to when they wrote this uh, in uh, as the Valley of Baca. And there's, there's actually three, and if you want to take the time, you can nerd out on this. I know I did. <laughs> there's actually three uh, different valleys that uh, could have been. Um, and they're notable because of a certain species of, of tree. I, I think it's a Bassam tree. I, I may not be pronouncing that right. Um, but it's this Bassam tree uh, that is there. Um, and it's in some way related to how the people perceived in that valley as a place of sorrow. And as they walked through it, even the land itself seemed to be weeping. This is what Paul would refer to when he says creation itself seems to be groaning. There are seasons in our life where it seems like everything we touch turns to tears. There are seasons in our life where every prayer we pray ends in intercession. It seems like every phone call that comes puts another stone in the weight, the pack on your back. Uh, Hell will conspire against you in times of suffering and loss. I promise you, if there is something in your life that is a source of of, of mourning or sadness, if you've recently lost loved ones, which I know there's several of you in this church who recently have lost loved ones, uh, America has lived through a time of of losing a lot of of our our elders. And um, it is, uh, in my experience, then, it's in that time of mourning that it seems as though hell has a meeting and says, look, if we're ever going to get them, we've got to get them now. It seems as though that's the case. I, I don't mean to discourage anyone here today. I want to share some, if possible, some, um, maybe, maybe it's something that's uh, helpful to you. Uh, uh, if, if, when the enemy knows you're already hurting deeply, it's as, though, it's as though your enemies hold a meeting and they say, if we're ever going to have a chance to get them, we're going to get them now. And troubles you, di- you didn't even know were out there will surface in that time of sorrow and loss. And circumstances you didn't even see coming will rear up because hell will try to take advantage and leverage everything in your life. But I want to say this to all of you who are in a valley of Baca. Um, uh, blessed are those whose strength comes from the Lord. In your sorrow, where does your strength come from? In your tears, where does your strength come from? Blessed are those somebody say it with me blessed 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 are those whose strength comes from the Lord you see these tears on my face Uh, my strength comes from the Lord I didn't sleep very good last night my strength comes from uh, the Lord there's a deep sadness that always tries to well up like the fountains of the deep in my life but my strength comes from the Lord I'm in the valley of sorrow I'm walking a journey of weak weeping and loss but I'm here to say to somebody as testimony my strength comes from the Lord as a, a pastor I've 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 had the great tragedy and misfortune of burying two young people who died of overdoses uh, I've been attached to funerals of more than that, but people that I I knew uh, in our church 
uh, had grown up in this church and uh, part of the great tragedy of our times is opioids and uh, I've preached two funerals where uh, there were young people grown up in our church who died of overdoses and at one of them uh, people who uh, to be fair they were broken in their loss they were just devastated by the loss and I cannot imagine so I do not say this judging whatsoever so help me God uh, but they stood in the church house and they said uh, if God is real how could he let this happen and as far as I know that may have been the last time I've ever seen them I've ever seen them in church I hope they go to church somewhere uh, they stood here and they said uh, I don't, if God is real, how could this ha ever happen? Uh, and the other funeral uh, was uh, another couple in our church. Now, to be fair, they're, they're more mature Christians. They're stronger. Um, and uh, they stood in the same church, and they said this. And I won't say their names because I, don't, I didn't ask for their permission to do so. But they stood in this church, and they said, I don't know how people go. I don't know how people make it through this without God. Same situation, very similar ages, almost identical situations. One says, if God is real, how could this happen? The other says, I don't know how people make it through this without God. Now, this isn't about them being good or bad. There's no good or bad. God is good. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Uh, even when we're not sinning, we're still capable of sin. You see what I'm saying? We're like a tiger in a cage. <laughs> you let us out, somebody's going to get hurt. <laughs> it's not about good or bad. It's not about these people being good, these people being bad. I, I don't want to, that's too judgy for me and it makes me uncomfortable. None of us are very, none of us are good. And if there is any good thing, it's the gift of God, the goodness of God, the impartation, the mercy of God. Uh, it's not just sinners who need Jesus. Church folk need Jesus just as bad as, as any sinner who, you understand what I'm saying? I don't want to give that impression like I'm saying there's good people. No, no, no. I'm saying this. There's people whose strength comes from the Lord. And there's people who find they have nothing to stand on. So let me say it again. Blessed, 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 blessed. Blessed, 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 blessed. Blessed, blessed, blessed are people in the valley of weeping. In the valley of weeping. In the valley of weeping. They can say, my strength comes from the Lord. 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 All right, real quickly, and I'm done. I want to tell you this. There's three lies that hell wants to tell you uh, in your valleys. We've looked at some sacred stories uh, to show you insight into the valleys we live through. There's three lies. Um, and that, well, let me say it differently. It's not that the three lies, there's three things I want you to remember. Number one, isolation is a lie. You are not alone. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death thou art with me you are not alone uh, so it is that Isaiah would say when you go through deep waters and great trouble speaking for the Lord I will be with you when you go through rivers of difficulty you will not drown when you walk through the fire of oppression you will not be burned up the flames will not consume you isolation is a lie isolation is a lie that hell wants you to believe so you'll separate from the very people who bring you life 
you connect with the people of God because the circulation of the Spirit of God, the circulation of healing, the blood of Christ is in His body. It flows to you. You need connection. Isolation is a lie. Secondly, God uses valleys like a master craftsman uses tools. Does that make sense? God uses valleys like a carpenter uses a hammer. In fact, in one passage in the book of Psalms, Psalm uh, number 60, the Lord says this to the people of Israel, Moab. Moab is their enemy, the Moabites, and they would hang around any movement of the people and they would wait and pick off the weak ones. That's what the Moabites did. Now, there's people who do that to churches. Um, They pick off whoever's weak in the church because uh, they in some way, uh, they in some way are working out some coping mechanism in themselves and uh, they are attracted to weakness Uh, the Bible calls people like this wolves I'll preach on that some other time Um, but the point being is this is what the Moabites did to the people of uh, of God Uh, and the Lord said this about the Moabites the Moabites are my wash pot what do you mean a wash pot now remember in this time whenever they traveled they would arrive with filthy feet and they would have a wash pot and they would wash their feet Moab is my washpot. You thought it was just an enemy. No, I will use Moab spiritually to produce strength in you that you would not have had if you didn't have to fight for something. God uses valleys like utensils. Hosea 2.15, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Or how about Romans 3 and 5, uh, chapter 3, excuse me, chapter number 5, verse number 3 through 5. We can even rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance. Somebody say yes. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And that kind of hope does not disappoint us because God has poured his love into our hearts. Last thing, last thing. The third thing I want you to hold on to in your valley is this. So number one, isolation's a lie. You aren't alone. Number two, God uses valleys to shape you and form you into who you can become for his purpose. Number three, you will leave the valley behind, but you'll bring the lessons of the valley with you. You, Weeping endures for a night. But joy comes. Pain will fade. There will come a day that you'll wake up and you'll realize you're okay. God has produced a complete work of healing in your life. It may not be tomorrow, but a day will come when you will wake up and you'll realize, you know, I think I'm okay. You'll be like a person taken off a cast. You'll wake up and you'll be like. I think everything's going to be all right. I want to know, is there any witnesses in this house who have ever woke up after God healed them and sat there like, huh, I, th- I think. Oh, I'm preaching to somebody right now. Now, I'm a preacher, and as a result, all preachers, I've had some terrible things said about me. But you know what? (laughs) I think I'm going to be all right. (laughs) I got a witness right here. It's you and me. I got a witness right here. People, People have been 
very, very unfair to me at times. And let me tell you what I have to do since I got an amen corner right here. This is my amen corner between Venice and, and, and Stella. This is my amen corner right here, okay? So, 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 you know, I remind myself that although there's people in the church who have been very unkind to me, there's, been, there's people in the same church who's been kinder to me than I deserve. Has someone in this church been ugly to you? There's, been, there's also people in this church who have been nicer to you than you deserve. You deserved a little bit of a slap and you didn't get one. There's been people who've been terribly disloyal. But there's also people who've been loyal to, loyal, more loyal to me than I deserve. I didn't deserve that much loyalty. They waited for me in my weakness and they ambushed me in, uh, when I was limping. But you know what? I, I think I'm going to be okay. And for church folks, this is how you check out your arm. You go, hallelujah. No pain. My children left me and moved off and got, got married. I think I'm going to be okay. Hallelujah. <laughs> and after you realize you can still lift your hands in the sanctuary, there's something else I want you to try. I want you to try the handshake. I think I'm going to be okay. Somebody give me a handshake in this house right My grandmother, some of y'all didn't know my grandmother was in this church for years. She always had her handkerchief. She'd always be back there. She'd always be doing this. I want to say to somebody, they were ugly to me, but I, I think I'm going to be okay. <laughs> and finally, one more thing for you to try, my brother, my sister. After you've tried this, and after you've tried, woo, you got to get a woo. All church people have a woo. Woo. Mmm. My God. If you don't know how to do it, check in with Melix. He will teach you how to do it. And one of the best woos in the church is Dee Dee. Dee Dee has the best woo in the church. She is the queen woo, okay? Woo! That's Dee Dee. Now, I helped you out with that. After you tried this, and you tried woo, and you tried grandma, you got to put those hands together. That doesn't hurt at all. That didn't hurt at all. You know what? I think I'll be okay. I think God's on my side. I think the devil's a liar. I think there's hope with the rising of the morning sun. I think there's new purpose. I think there's forgiveness. I think there's mercy. Let me, I think I'm going to be okay. I was always coming through the valley. Stand with me all across the house. Oh, I'm preaching to some people here today. You've got to receive it. It's not enough for me to preach it. I need you to receive it. I need you to embrace it in your spirit. I need you to say, I, I, I might be in the valley, but I'm not shopping for real estate. All right. Come on now. Come on now. Hallelujah. I might be in the valley, but I'm not signing any long-term leases. I am moving through the valley, one foot in front of the other. I'm crying right now. I'm bandits right now, but I am coming through the valley.
Praise God. Praise God. I wish, I, I wish some of you would claim that right now in your spirit. I wish you'd lift your hearts heavenward. You'd say, God, I claim that in my circumstance. I claim it right now. I, I refuse despair. I wish you'd put that in your prayer right now. I refuse despair. I refuse to believe I'm stuck here forever. A day's going to come where I'm going to be free indeed. And let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm coming out of here. You're hurting today. You're hurting. I'm telling you, you're coming out. You're coming out. You're coming out. You're coming out. You're going to wake up and you're going to realize I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. God brought me through this. Oh, we're going to move right now into the lingering portion of our service. That's what I, it's a lingering portion. This is what I want you to do. If you're comfortable being vulnerable for God, step out of the chair you're in. Come down to the front. We'll pray with you some here. Uh, our worship team's going to lead us. We're going to just linger in the presence of God for a little while. Uh, some of our leaders and pastorals and strong believers have maybe moved through the crowd and pray with some of you and welcome you. We won't embarrass you. Don't worry about that. But we want in this moment the Word of God to be applied in your life. I need you to believe it enough where you believe God is on your side. You believe God is with you. You believe you are not alone. You are not stuck. Somebody say it with me. I'm not stuck. Turn around look at somebody say I'm not stuck God's gonna get me out of here I'm not trapped come on say it I'm not trapped God is gonna bring me out of this valley all across the church lift your voice and praise lift your hearts and worship let's linger in the presence of the Lord let's pray one for another if you're with your family pray for your family if you have your children with you lay hands on your children and pray for them. if you're with friends I pray one for another you're already doing life together pray one for another. Let's call upon the name of the Lord in this house. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come worship with us.